Section 7 of Oscar Wilde from Purgatory by Hester Travers Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5. Cryptosthesia. Let us now consider this case from Professor Richet's point of view, and see how far it will lead us towards solving the problem of Oscar Wilde's unexpected appearance. Let us set aside the suggestion that he may possibly be speaking to us from some unknown region, the conditions of which we are unable to understand, and assume that our script has risen entirely through the medium's clairvoyant or cryptosthetic powers. To express it simply, Professor Richet's theory is that science has proved, under conditions which cannot be definitely defined, that it is possible to develop cryptosthesia, a supernormal power by which we become aware of facts unknown to us in either the present, past or future. We have therefore no proof of survival and none is possible. Such a hypothesis can carry us over all the ground if we are ready to accept it. In my first chapter, I have already spoken of this solution of the difficulties that beset the student of psychic science. I shall not say that I am wholly convinced by it, but I am quite ready to admit that it is entirely logical, and would probably be entirely satisfactory to certain types of mind. In fact, to these persons it will be an immense relief to shake off all the difficulties of proving survival and rest on a basis which seems natural and conceivable. As I continued to read Thirty Years of Psychical Research, I grew more and more interested. We progress from telepathy to monitions and premonitions, to the problem of psychometry, which seems insoluble to ordinary mortals, to prevision, an even more impossible puzzle, and we finish with hauntings. There we call a halt, for, so far, materialisations and telekinesis, etc. Footnote. The levitation of objects without contact with the medium. End footnote. Though scientific facts cannot be explained, cryptosthesia does not take us quite the whole way. We must not be alarmed in discussing Professor Richet's theories by the fact that the strain on our imagination will be more severe than if we admit the possibility of survival. Through countless ages we have been taught to look forward to a life beyond the grave where reward or punishment awaits us according to our deserts. This belief is so embedded in our nature that it requires less effort to entertain it than to accept a series of ideas dealing purely with what is intangible, which involves faith in a power, the possession of which has been hitherto discredited by many of our scientists. For cryptosthesia is practically what we used to call clairvoyance. It is more extended in its application. It is the power of seeing more clearly than the ordinary mortal, seeing in many directions to which the clairvoyant vision was not supposed to extend. 
what amazes me most in reading professor richet's book is that he accepts more than many of us provided the case fits in with his central idea trifles which seem hardly worth recording present themselves to him as fresh evidence of his hypothesis we recognise that with professor richet cryptosthesia fills all the cracks we must preserve a critical attitude and not permit ourselves to be carried away too far by his enthusiasm let us now analyse the case of oscar wilde from professor richet's point of view in speaking of mrs piper's phenomena richet says when these entities manifest they make mistakes trifle so childishly forget so much and show such reticences that it is impossible to believe that the spirit of a deceased person has returned that is a very sweeping statement even i with a very limited experience and that without the help of any professional trance medium deny that communication purporting to be from the dead is as a rule childish and futile i agree that my communicators seem to have forgotten most facts connected with their earth life and more strangely still they sometimes seem to have forgotten their own names and the names of their friends but i do not often get what could be called childish messages from them in another passage professor richet says the poor spiritist personality is not in any way incoherent it is simply low grade and very low grade being with few exceptions much below average intelligence i have usually five to seven sittings in the week at the ouija board and my results vary considerably i find if intelligent questions are asked intelligent answers are given in fact i should say that far from being low grade the spirit personality i come across is extremely interesting so long as it's speaking of conditions on the other side the difficulty as a rule is that its memory of earth life is dim it forgets names and details which may be accounted for by its distance from the earth atmosphere we however look naturally for clear and distinct proofs of an earth existence and if what we get deals chiefly with the future state we attribute the communication to the subconsciousness of the medium and possibly we are right we must however for the moment adopt professor richet's explanation of the appearance of oscar wilde we must assume that when he had that first sitting for automatic writing at which he professed to speak mr v and i brought our cryptesthetic powers into play we impersonated oscar wilde and playing up to the impersonation through our subconscious minds we made use of the submerged memories of wilde's works and personality which we possessed from reading his books a very remarkable feat at a first sitting for automatic writing the imitation of style professor richet would say is parody not authorship it is a clever literary work but it does not come from a beyond 
the human intelligence that composes this prose is in no way beyond human powers i believe that there have been a good many cases in which distinguished persons have purported to speak from beyond most of these have in reality been parodies the style is a dim reflection of that of the author who is supposed to be writing i have not personally come across a case where a clever imitation of style was combined with a clever imitation of handwriting what is professor richet's explanation of the handwriting the similitude of handwriting need not trouble us he says for there is nothing to show that cryptosthesia may not extend even to that helen smith sees before her the signature of bernier by her cryptosthesia and then she imagines herself to be bernier in virtue of the natural tendency of mediums to impersonate my only objection to this last contention is that even if helen smith sees bernier's signature through her cryptosthesia a signature that includes only a few of the letters of the alphabet will it leave a sufficiently enduring impression to carry her through hundreds of pages of manuscript without any alteration in the handwriting perhaps but we must admit that a great stretch of imagination is required to suppose so and that at least the oscar wilde script is a remarkable case i have said that i did not think the explanation of subconscious plagiarism covered the ground i feel sure however that cryptosthesia covers it completely if we accept this hypothesis because once awakened that power can develop cognition of facts unknown to the sitters therefore professor richet contends it is impossible to prove survival he also contends that the existence of cryptosthesia is a fact which is demonstrated by hundreds of instances which he quotes i agree with professor richet that in a sense it is impossible to prove survival proofs on a subject so much outside human experience are at best only partially convincing but in defining metaphysical facts he says they seem due to unknown but intelligent forces including among these unknown intelligences the astonishing phenomena of our subconscious and he defines cryptosthesia further on as a sensibility whose nature escapes us if so we're dealing with unknown intelligences we are not in a position to assert that oscar wilde is or is not an extension of our own faculties this unknown intelligence may surely be the discarnate mind of oscar wilde himself professor richet says speaking of raymond cryptosthesia is always partial defective symbolical and so mixed with errors and puerilities that it is difficult to believe that the consciousness of a deceased person can be limited to such a degree does that criticism apply to the series of scripts now before us symbolism is i think ruled out in this case and even if the facts in the scripts which were unknown to us are few they are not errors or puerilities 
Therefore, accepting Professor Richet's own statements, this is not a typical case of cryptosthesia. Taking the scripts one by one, we must suppose that the first was largely due to the subconscious. The two mediums had a certain content of Wilde's writing in their minds, and from those memories they built up an essay which had many sentences in it containing ideas from Wilde's published works, sometimes even the words being almost identical with phrases from De Profundis, Dorian Gray, etc., the handwriting must have been due to the fact that Mr. V or I had glanced at an autograph or facsimile of Wilde's handwriting at some time, now forgotten. In the state of semi-somnambulism induced by automatism, the cryptosthetic powers of one or both mediums was aroused, hence the address in Tite Street unknown to either of us. It seems strange under these circumstances that the address in Dublin was not given. Mr. V knew neither it nor Speranza, Lady Wilde's nom de plume. I knew both. At the second sitting, at which Mr. Dingwall was present, he gave the suggestion to the subconscious minds of the mediums, and the essay on the Society for Psychical Research was the result. Cryptosthesia was not evident here, except in supplying the name of Mrs. Chan Toon, who was unknown to either medium. The second essay on that afternoon, in which Wells, Bennett, and Philpotts are spoken of, was, of course, due to the subconscious minds of both sitters, except in the case of Philpotts, where cryptosthesia may have accounted for the allusion to Dartmoor. Of course, some casual glance at a volume in a bookshop, or a review of one of Phil Potts' novels, may have dropped that memory into the subconscious mind of either or both mediums. Then comes that question of Wilde's references to his fluid state of mind, and cloac of souls, of the séance at André Gide's, which finds an echo in the Ouija script. The shades are really too tumultuous. They are overcrowded and we get confused by seeing each other's thoughts. I must have, through my cryptosthesia, got at the fact that Wilde had professed to speak through automatic writing before, and have gathered the ideas that were communicated on that occasion. Again, in the Ouija script, dealing with his prison life, I seem to follow the actual state of Wilde's mind so far as we can judge from what Sherard, who frequently visited him in jail, has told us. First, despair seems to have seized him. He, however, rose from this, and, pressing from fury and despair to resignation, made use of the resources of the prison, and, before he left, through his good conduct, his life became more tolerable, and he was permitted to have abundant books and periodicals to read. This particular script, I have no doubt, would be relegated by Professor Richet as an entirely subconscious production. Now, taking the last section, which came through in automatic writing, partly through Mr. V and myself, and partly through him with my daughter's hand resting on his, 
we find a number of ragged bits of memory giving us some interesting points which I've been able to verify and some of which are of such a trivial nature that it would be impossible to get evidence for their truth or the reverse. I cannot, so far, verify that a story was spread by Wilde about Pater's wishing to kiss his hand. I have verified the fact, unknown to me when the writing came through, that Pater was a very silent person in company. The next memory, recalling a little farm at Glen Cree, was interesting. Wilde makes two shots at the name. McCree, Cree, no, that's not the name, Glen Cree. I knew, Mr V could not have known, as he has never been in Ireland, that high up in the mountains twelve miles from Dublin, there is a lonely valley called Glen Cree. Wilde speaks of staying there with Willie and Izzo. Of course, I knew Willie must be his brother, but I had never heard he had a sister. I find now that Oscar was very much attached to his only sister, Isola, who died when she was eight years old. He speaks of an old priest, Father Prid... Prido. Footnote. This information I now find I could have obtained had I seen Donahoe's magazine, Boston, Massachusetts, USA, for April 1905. Father Lawrence Charles Prideaux Fox states in an article he contributed to that magazine that he knew Lady Wilde and baptised Oscar. End footnote. Who gave them lessons there? I wrote to Glen Cree Reformatory School and through the courtesy of Father Foley, ascertained that sixty years ago Father Prideaux Fox was manager of that school at Glen Cree. We then come to the passage where the village of Berneval is mentioned. At that time my daughter had her hand on Mr V's. She knew nothing whatever about Wilde's life. Neither did Mr V nor I know that Wilde stayed at Berneval when he left prison. Then comes the point about the name Melmoth, or Melnot, to which I referred previously. The little story about Whistler is so trifling that I hardly hope to confirm it. Here, therefore, in this one small section, we have evidence in several instances of the cryptosthetic power of the mediums. In another short script, speaking of work, Wilde says... I once trundled the barrow for poor old John Ruskin. This referred to his Oxford days, when Ruskin used to invite his students to work in the garden. When the writing came through, the fact was unknown to us. In his final chapter, Professor Richet says, Every phenomenon of cryptosthesia must be preceded by an exterior energy that has started it some unknown vibration that has set in motion the latent energies of our human mind, unaware of its powers. Therefore, even mental mediumship must be in a sense objective if we allow that it is due originally to an exterior energy. Strange that any energy or vibration should start two uninterested persons, quite unpremeditatively, 
on these long plagiarisms of Oscar Wilde, unless that vibration comes from something that was once the Oscar Wilde we knew. In another passage, Professor Richet says, In certain cases, rare indeed, but whose significance I do not disguise, there are, apparently at least, intelligent and reasoned intentions, forces and wills in the phenomena produced. I cannot help feeling that Richet has almost admitted that an external influence is responsible, in some cases at least. He mentions that Gelly, who no doubt would prefer to attribute all phenomena to the subconscious, states that the high and complex phenomena of mediumship seem to show external direction and intention that cannot be referred to the medium or the experimenters. I have tried, as far as is in my power, to put the case fairly to my readers. I feel, personally, that it may well be attributed to cryptosthesia in conjunction with the subconscious, the original suggestion puzzles me, however. I fail to see what started us so unexpectedly on this line, if we leave out the spirit hypothesis. In judging these scripts, the greatest weight should be given to the theories of Professor Richet, who is undoubtedly one of the most important living thinkers on this subject. He is so frank and definite in his statements that we know exactly where we are with him, he has admitted far more than I should have dared to expect, and he has placed at our disposal a very logical explanation of the more difficult points in psychical research. He has found an argument to clear up the mystery of psychometry, that power by which, through unknown means, the history of an inanimate object may be gathered by certain persons. I incline to disagree with him that the presence of an object is not a necessity, and I speak from extended experience. My point is that the suggestion should be there to awake this supernormal power. Again, Richet recognises it as a demonstrated fact that under similar conditions we can see future events. There are premonitions, he says. He explains this as cognition of future events through cryptosthesia. How the suggestions reach the clairvoyant, he cannot conjecture. With respect and gratitude to Professor Richet, I feel that his theory is too incomplete to warrant our accepting it in its entirety yet a while. Myers, who admitted the survival of personality as an explanation of our messages and visions, asked less of our imagination than Richet does. Although we know how important is the part which the subconscious plays in our work, we naturally look for some raison d'etre for visitations like this of Oscar Wilde. If Professor Richet could explain why and from where the original suggestion came, we should listen to the rest of his argument with more conviction. In reading his concluding chapter, I felt that on one very important point, he and I take different roads. He speaks most reasonably when he says, Why should there not be intelligent and puissant beings distinct from those perceptible by our senses? 
by what right should we dare to affirm on the basis of our limited senses our defective intellect and our scientific past as yet hardly three centuries old that in the vast cosmos man is the sole intelligent being and that all mental reality always depends upon nerve cells irrigated with oxygenated blood he speaks again of mysterious beings angels or demons existences devoid of form or spirits which now and then seek to intervene in our lives who can by means entirely unknown mould matter at will and who to make themselves known which they could not otherwise do assume the bodily and psychological aspect of vanished personalities all this is a simple manner of expressing and understanding the greater part of meta-psychic phenomena now here professor richet and i part company i am as ready as he is to believe in the existence of angels and demons and mysterious beings but that it should be supposed more conceivable that a case such as the one we're dealing with is an impersonation by an angel or demon rather than a communication from the discarnate mind of oscar wilde is quite unreasonable to my thinking and simply complicates our difficulties i am ready to admit that in the early stages of the development of mediumship impersonations are common these however can be easily recognised by any experienced sitter and seem to me if i may speculate to be of the poltergeist order the messages are vague and foolish and lead nowhere the case we're considering is of a different nature i believe therefore that if we're ready to accept professor richet's theory in its entirety we may regard the oscar wilde script as a very notable case of cryptosthesia aroused in both the mediums End of section 7